0: Welcome to Remarkable Woman Radio, I am your host Mandy Beverly. This is a podcast for women, by women. As we know, a rising tide lifts all boats, but sometimes we know there can be a few stormy seas. So when the tough times happen, the proverbial hits the fan, what do you do? Who do you have to become in the process? That's the real story, and that's Remarkable. We love to tell the story of women that are a few steps further ahead on their own entrepreneurial journey. They know exactly what it feels like to be where you are. So these women are not only paving the way for themselves, but they're also paving the way for women that follow in their footsteps. This is Remarkable Woman Radio. Welcome to Remarkable Woman Radio, I'm Mandy Beverley and I am here with my guest Rebecca Campbell. Now Rebecca's a New Zealander that's lived for 20 years in Sydney and New York and she's now back in New Zealand and I'm very excited to be interviewing her today because this very clever woman um, can cover a gamut of subjects so I'm really excited to see what she has to say. So welcome along Rebecca. Thank you Mandy, it's great to be here. Now just having a little look at what you're doing. You've gone from the music industry to the mm-hmm. technology industry, and now you're in the relationship industry. <laughs> and you've written this gorgeous book called 138 Dates. And I was listening to some of your, well, no, I saw some of your um testimonials on there I laughed I cried I was aghast it was is what one of them said and I've read the first five chapters so far and I laughed I had a little cry and mm-hmm. I sort of feel like I'm right there on the journey with you so tell us a little bit about how you got to write 138
1: days well I mean I did start i mean I have been in business for i mean I started a business basically stay, I mean, in school and straight out of university. So I've never had a proper job, so to speak. Um, and then I started writing a blog about everything that I was learning in business. That blog became pretty popular and then became a New York Times column. So I, I was originally approached by a publisher to write a business book. And I started writing this business book and it was around challenges women face in technology in particular. Um, and I just found that I wasn't excited to write it. I would kind of sit down in the morning and I felt a bit, I felt like there are better people potentially to talk about these things. And um at the same time, I had had this journey, you know, a very personal journey of, you know, I'd focused on my career for a long time and I got to age 34 and I'd really wanted to have a family, but I hadn't been on a date in 10 years um, because I'd been so focused on work, you know, and I had lost a partner in the in the past. So there was a bunch of reasons. But I was 34 and I felt very stuck. And then I went on this mission to, I guess, find happiness. But for me, that meant, uh, what is it going to take me to find a partner and hopefully to make a family? So um, anyway, I was writing this book and I had been through that extremely difficult journey of uh, finding a partner Anna, and we did make a beautiful family and I was just like wow well, that's it's good a- to know because <laughs> I'm only you, yeah.
0: five chapters into your book and I'm like I really want to know <laughs> yeah. how this ends
1: it was <laughs> yeah, a very happy ending we now have a three and a five-year-old um and we're in and we're back in Wellington and I just my three-year-old started preschool this morning <laughs> so um so yeah it's oh, a very I'm lovely it's a very lovely ending um but yeah I at that time I had a I had just a, I think I had a one-year-old when I was writing the book um, my daughter was one who's now five. And I knew that, you know, what I had with my daughter and my partner was everything. It was just seemed so much more valuable than anything, you know, I had accomplished in my career. I don't want to kind of downplay what you accomplish in your career and your business because it is important. But just for me personally, when I kind of weighed up the overall. Like value I had created in my own life. (laughs) I think that the journey I went on to find love um, and make this family was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And if I could share some of that learning, some of those learnings with people, I think that would be the most value I could kind of put out there. And so that was why I decided like, you should, you know, if you only get to write one book in your life, I want to be the most valuable I can. And it was also turned out as soon as I started writing it, This is actually quite a fun story Um, in parts. It's very sad in parts, but yeah, it was a real emotional roller coaster writing it, which I think is a good thing because when I read a book, I love to laugh and I love to cry and feel connected to the character. And yeah, and I like to learn as well. So there's the the three things. So yeah, that was why I wrote the book.
0: (laughs) Well, it's actually um, so far a really good read and I'm excited to read the rest of it. And why do you think... Why do you think people get so stuck when it lo- when when they're talking about relationships? I mean, or they're wanting to enter into them.
1: I think I probably never would have said this at the time, but I was afraid of being rejected. I think I built this because I hadn't dated for such a long time. And I had built a bit of a profile as a career woman. You know, I was kind of in the media quite a bit. I just did, you know, I would in my head, I was like, I am a desirable, successful woman who any man is going to want, but I didn't want to find out, you know, it's like, you don't want to test your product in the market. You know? like, <laughs> Because like, what if I actually went on a date and they didn't call me back or, you know, nobody wanted to, I went on these online dates. So I put a photo up and nobody found me attractive. And I think I was really afraid of that. And I was probably afraid of looking stupid as well. I was afraid of, of people like, you know, going, oh, Rebecca Campbell, like, can't she get herself a partner when she's supposed to be this successful businesswoman? So I was just, I was embarrassed by that. And I was afraid of, I guess, I think finding out that no one wanted me. But, but then it, the fear of, sorry, the fear of being alone at some point forever and missing out and having kids, then that fear overtook the fear of being rejected.
0: Well, thank goodness it did by the sounds yeah. of it. So, yeah. you know, and and just to relate it back in business, say I am my own product and it's actually really... I find that's the hardest thing to be marketing myself for the same reason. So I think there's a lot of women yeah. out there can really relate to that, no matter whether they have the family and now they're, you know, and they're wanting to promote themselves or they've got the business and now they have to promote themselves to find what they want. So I can see that it's a real dilemma that can sort of expand across any area of life. Yeah. And just what you said about not wanting to miss out on that, that being more important than the fear is actually really cool, I think, for yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, I think people. you're right.
1: That can apply to business for sure. I feel that, you know, as I'm promoting myself and what I have to offer as well, you are afraid that no, what if no one's going to want this. It is a similar kind of fear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, you know, you just got to get past it. But you do have to,
0: yeah. (laughs) And you got to expose yourself more when you're in in a relationship as well, because, you know, they're going to get to know the real you, you know, the one that most people don't see. And actually that's the most fun part when they do, Yeah, you know, I think because a lot of clients that I talk to, they are, they're afraid to be themselves with Mm. the person, but they don't realize what they're missing out on because no one can be a hundred percent positive all the time. In fact, we actually realize that that is the old fake meter goes on in us, you know, inside of us, if someone is on all the time or just mm-hmm. positive. And so we have an inbuilt thing to look for the opposite. Um, so it's,
1: yeah, it's yeah. very cool. Well, it's and I think a, everyone, sorry. I was going to say, it's a bit of a paradox, actually. Like, um, I mean, I always thought when I started dating and definitely in business earlier in business, um, I always thought I had to be hundred percent, you know, perfect, you know, <laughs> always positive. Um, but actually, when I learned through writing my blog, as soon as I started writing blog posts that were, I stuffed this up this week, you won't believe, you know, I wrote a blog post once about how I told a lie in a meeting and, you know, this idea about how we all tell lies. And it was so scary to share but that was the one that just went completely viral and eventually got me in my New York times column. And so that those vulnerabilities are actually what people can connect to. And it's the same in dating. So, um, I mean, there's this is wonderful psychologist who I go to see throughout my journey. And she gives me lots of advice as I come across, you know, different characters and different insecurities in myself. Um, and one of them was that, you know, It was was around men, but I think it applies to everyone. So men want to be able to help you in some way. They want to know that, you know, there's some vulnerability, something that you're afraid of, and they can step in and they can help you solve. And it's not just about being a damsel in distress because it's actually about, that's how friendships form. That's actually just how relationships form. You expose something that you're a bit scared to expose. You allow someone to contribute to you. And that's how you build those connections so I think that's a, you know that is a mistake I made early on in dating it was just trying to be perfect and there's no space for anyone to contribute mm, that's actually a very very good point point.
0: and so obviously with a three-year-old and a five-year-old now yeah. um, life is pretty busy yes For you, I'd imagine. Are you still built because you're you're promoting your book, but also are you still building your businesses and things like that, or are you have you changed things since you've now um, got a young family?
1: Yeah, so I built. I mean, the business that I was building in the book is a um, it's a payments app for cafes and restaurants. It's now the largest cafes payment app in Australia. I think it's a million users. Customers use it and it's largely owned by Westpac Bank. So they were our largest investor. Um, it's a profitable business. So I exited out to a CEO. I think as soon as I had my daughter, I think I started to think, as much as I love the business and I was proud of the team that we built, you know, I thought, you know, enabling people to pay faster at cafes and restaurants. Is that really my like calling in life? And so I decided to exit myself. So I spent a year working with a CEO who took over running the business. You know, this since been another CEO kind of come in who's doing a great job. So I have not exited in terms of the business has not been sold. I'm just a shareholder in that business, but I'm I guess a silent shareholder like any other investor now. Um, And you know, I've done a bunch of consulting in Australia. I worked with KPMG for a while. And now I'm in New Zealand. I've really been focusing on writing this book and now promoting the book and getting my kids settled. Um, but yeah, I'm looking for what is the next thing. Uh, I'm kind of toying with a new book idea um, as well as thinking about yeah doing some different things in Wellington. now I'm here in Wellington. I really want to contribute in some way to New Zealand because I'm an extremely passionate New Zealander. Um, but I'm just working out what that looks like.
0: And how has it been coming back after being
1: away for so long? Oh, it's wonderful. It's just... I can't believe I was away for so long. I just, you now I, I missed out. I feel like I missed out because I mean we're in Wellington, which I just think is the best city in the world is so beautiful. And, um, I don't know. I just walk around going, this is my Te Ranga wai wai. <laughs> I, I just like, feel like I'm at home. And, um, my partner, Rod, who is from Sydney, he's never lived outside of Sydney in his life. He is learning Te reo and he has got a great job in school leadership. Um, yeah, we just absolutely love it. And our kids are speaking today. Oh, and it's just it's such a great place for kids to grow up and we're spending, yeah, I don't know. I can't talk anymore about how much I love New Zealand.
0: It's okay. That's cool. No, it's really cool. And it's great because um, there's a lot of Kiwis that are trying to come home and are yeah. coming home and and just settling back and, and I think actually appreciating New Zealand for all of its the lovely parts so to yeah. speak rather than all the, the hassles that we see at the moment
1: but so it's really it's actually very cool oh, yeah. um I was I would um, say if you lived in Australia the politics yeah like <laughs> it's so awful when you come here you're like what are people complaining about it's just like everything <laughs> is so well run and I don't know it's uh, but it's always yeah it's, I guess it's always kind of a level of complaining that will occur in every society, no matter how oh. good people have it.
0: But <laughs> Didn't they say that the prime, you know, the prime minister's role is, is there. Um, she got voted or he, he or she gets voted. And so people have got someone to blame, you know, yeah. something like that. <laughs> yeah. but- Anyway, getting back to, um, and I, I was sort of reading it on your site about you have beliefs about two controls and one is about integrity and the other is about accelerator. And um, And I really like the way that you distinguished those two things mm. um, and actually brought them together. Are you
1: able to explain a little bit more about that for us? Oh, sure. I mean, I'd spend a lot of time thinking about, And I guess because I'm a writer and I write these blogs, I think about different philosophies on things. And this is just, I think like, what does it take to be successful in life? And this is something that it takes years and years to work out what your philosophy is around, you know, what it takes to be successful. And I definitely felt for a long time, I really felt that it was all about working hard and just going as hard as you possibly can. And I when I look at my, you know, I, I started in the music business, I built quite a large management and record label and then I decided that wasn't for me. And then I built a tech business. The first tech business failed and the second tech business did pretty well. Um, and then, but I wasn't, didn't then came to that point where I'd had a, a child and I felt like I wasn't quite doing the right thing. Um, and I noticed others, you know, I have a particularly wonderful friend who's just always gone in one direction. She had one mission in life and she's just stuck to it. And, and, um, She's kind of gone a lot, I feel like she's gone a lot further than me, even though we've both worked equally hard. And so I started thinking about, well, what is it that sets your direction? And, and, I, and I looked at her and I kind of thought, well, I think you've got to kind of go back to your like deep inside and integrity and integrity. I mean, by doing what you are designed to do. So that's following your, your unique talents and your passion And, you know, my friend is a very successful entrepreneur. And when I look at her, I think, you know, I could never actually be like that. Whereas I used to look at other people and think, you know, maybe I could do that. If I learned just to to be a bit more like them, then eventually, you know, I would get there. Um, But as I've kind of worked out, no matter how hard I try, I'm actually not designed to do that exact thing. But I am designed to do something wonderfully well. I believe that everyone is designed to do something really, really well, something that they're passionate about, something they're really good at. So I think you kind of look deep inside and that's at your values as well. Um, I go, what is that one thing? Because and, and, then, and then it's about you're on the right path and then it's about how hard are you willing to push? You know, like you can go in the right direction, but not go very far if you're not really going to accelerate. So I think kind of people who seem to really make an impact and have really happy lives are the ones that I feel like have both feet to the floor, like go really hard on their integrity and constantly looking inside at, you know, am I on the right path? Am I I on the right mission? Is this me and what I'm good at, not what I think I should be doing because someone else is doing something. Um, And, uh, you know, working hard and giving it their best shot. No, I like that. And because if we don't,
0: sometimes we can actually be almost too integrous and then, there's no, there's no speed, there's no oomph to to actually push it forward. And yeah. that is equally as frustrating as well. Yeah. And yeah, and you mentioned something about should, and that's in my book, is the way that we import other people's opinions into us. And so as soon as I hear that word, I go, oh, who's the authority that is actually, you know, that you've got embedded there that's yeah. saying it's something that I should be doing. Mm. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's really cool. And what information, what info can you give to our listeners around setting goals? Because you're very good at that. Um, You mentioned it in your book as well. And um, so, you know, what, what can you tell us about setting goals?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, I just, I just add to that last point. I'm starting to adjust my thinking on the kind of accelerator thing. Now I have kids. It's all around like you don't have to go hard all the time. There are times, I think there are times in life where you can pull back and go, okay, this period of my life, I'm going to not accelerate. I'm going to spend, you know, I'm going to be home at three o'clock every day. And so, so that's, I'm kind of evolving it around, <laughs> around that. Um, but goal setting, that's just something I've always been quite good at. I think I, le- I had this really powerful lesson when I was 19, I think I was going on 20 and I decided. It was the university holidays. I went to Victoria University in Wellington. And at that stage, Wellington had the highest youth suicide rate in the world per capita, which I just thought was outrageous because nobody talked about it. And I was like, well, I'm youth. And these are my friends, you know, my around my area. And so I decided to organize a concert to raise awareness of youth suicide. And raise awareness of all the support organizations. And so my, I, I I called up, my friend worked at BFM and gave me Neil Finn's home phone number. <laughs> and I, I knew that he was in crowded house, but I didn't know how famous he was, but I just dialed this number and said, so I had this idea for a concert um, and we had this long chat and he was like, can you send me a fax? And I was like, okay. So I got my mom to drive me down to Dick Smith in Porirua and we got a fax machine. And so I could fax Neil Finn. Anyway, he ended up saying yes. And then I got like, I think it was like 15 other or um, so new, big New Zealand artists to play. Um, I convinced the mayor of Wellington to give me the town hall. It was just, it was, sounds easy not to describe it like that, but it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. I was 19 years or 20 years old. And, um, and I had to raise all the money through and I got a lotteries grant and you know I went to the Lions. Like I just went everywhere to try and get money because I wanted to make the thing free. Um and it was all brought in the end it came off. But I remember every day was as I was organizing this thing thinking this is not going to happen. What have I got myself into? This is just like crazy. And it was so stressful. I was working until kind of midnight and getting up at six and I had to get a diary for the first time and write down appointments. and, but at the end, it was this huge success. There was like 15,000 people there. It was one of the biggest events in Wellington at that time. Um, you know, like Mikey Havoc, I was one of the hosts and it was all broadcast live on TV one. And I remember like sitting on the beach the day after going, wow, like all I have to do is follow through. I just, I'd figured out that even though so many things came up, I've now worked out that I can actually do anything if I, if I stick to it. So I just, that was that. And that became my kind of superpower, I think was, you know, setting goals. That goal was to have that event. And then I just don't ever give up. I'll just keep going and going and going and going. And it's, you know, I'm not the smartest person or the most strategic person. And I haven't always made the right choices in terms of like choosing the business that was the best thing for me, but I have always stuck to my goals. And that's always meant that it has worked out in the end, even though, you know, (laughs) sometimes a hard journey to get there. So I think like, I think getting to know yourself as that kind of person that follows through is really powerful because when I do think of a new goal now, I always think I get a bit excited and I also get like, oh, like I know what am I going to do to make this happen? Cause I know that I am going to make it happen. So it's a little bit like scary and exciting, but I know that, you know, it will happen no matter what. And that is just a super powerful thing to work out. And I'm really lucky to have worked it out so young.
0: Very lucky to to have worked it out so young. And um, but also, yeah, because I was just wrote down follow through as well, just to know that you want to do whatever it takes. And yeah. it's kind of like a way, I guess we could call it, you know, the way of backing yourself. Yeah. You know, that's that's um and just I wish more more would do that, but it does take a lot of. Guts, it takes a lot of questioning it takes getting over the fear of failure it takes all of these things but then once you do it it's kind of like well that comfort zone's gone so mm. big that nothing feels like it can slow you down so yeah, yeah very lucky to get there and yeah. there's a huge amount of advice there for anybody just in how to um go with goals and the biggest thing is follow through on them yeah. <laughs> you, you, agree can't you can't let yourself
1: you can't let yourself like miss them even little ones um that's the 138 dates as well right like that you know, i knew i, know. I was going to get there in the end i was all people like why did you keep going wasn't it and i was like well i knew i was going to get there i just had to keep at it because that's just that's just what i know works
0: well if you'd known that you were going to write a book at the end of this do you think you might have really um taken better notes through all of this or did, were you keeping a pretty uh, good
1: journal through the whole process i did keep a journal through the process which of many of my journal trees are in the book of you know this is what i figured out um and yeah i don't know. i've got quite a good memory for things as well i didn't not every date is in the book but the ones that stood out all the conversations that stood out and the how i felt you know dates that led to me feeling something or working something out they're all in there so you set the goal
0: to find someone mm-hmm. To find your, you know, your, your relationship. What goal did you set for that? It, you know, like, did you have? Oh, well, yeah. I'm going to, yeah. Are you going to date a certain number of people, or what kind of? What did you set, and how did it eventuate?
1: All right. So this is the input and output goals. So, um, I mean, I always believe at the beginning of every year, I always set output goals. So that is like, what will I have achieved by the end of this year? And so generally it will be, you know, in my career, it might be something like, I don't know, earn $10,000 a month through, through online, through hosting online classes. I think that was like one kind of goal that I might've had um, when I was doing online classes. So that's like, not, I'm not, that's an output goal. So that's, I don't know what I'm gonna to have to do to make that happen. I might have to build the classes. I might have to, you know, do different lots of different things to try and get there. But that the output is to make that amount of money through doing the online classes. Um and so I found that in work that is the best way to operate because you can't, there's no getting out of things. There's no like, I'm gonna do, you know, I've one was capital raising. I'm gonna raise a million dollars this year to so I can launch my online business. There's no I'm gonna give Two hundred presentations, because that's that's a cop out. Because you can give two hundred presentations and not get there. So that's an output goal. Then when I came to do my goals for finding a partner, you know, I originally remember writing down my goal is to find a husband. And then I thought, well, what if I don't find someone that I actually really love and want to spend time with? Am I going to just, you know, accept someone that's not the right fit for me just because I want to hit my goal by the end of the year? Um, and so I was like, no, I can't that's not going to work. So I realized that I couldn't do output goals for dating. Um, I had to do all my personal life. I had to do input goals. And so that, so my goal for the year was to go on one date every week for a year. And then, you know, I just said it will be up to God or, or whoever to decide what, um, what happens. Um, but I'm just going to put, My goal is to put myself in, you know, the best chance possible of, of finding love. And I did also think about myself as an old person looking back on my life and going, I want to be able to say that I gave it everything, you know, not that I, um, necessarily got there just because you don't want to get there and be in a bad relationship.
0: No, exactly, and um, but that's actually a really cool goal to to have in itself. Um, as you were just talking, I was just wondering: Does your husband have his version of 138 dates as well?
1: <laughs> no, he had two long term relationships. I think both went for around seven years, and he would just come out of a relation that a second that second relationship, and I think he'd been um, he'd only been single for maybe six months, so he'd been on a few dates. We met on Tinder, funnily enough, um, and yeah, he'd done I don't know maybe like a dozen dates or something, but definitely not a hundred and something. And and then yeah, we met. And I mean, there was a big thing that I learned right before I met Rod, which kind of transformed the way that I probably came across on that date. Um, so I was the right person, and then he was also the right person. So there was just this perfect kind of coming together of yeah, we're the right we're the right fit for each other.
0: So I often say, because I've got three daughters and yeah. um and they're in their twenties and and they um you know I just said look when you know you know. You know, there's just a comfortableness around yeah. around a person. Did you find that with, with Rod?
1: Um yeah, I mean definitely we had a lovely date and we you know, the, the, the conversation is all described in the book. So when you get up to that chapter, you'll be able to read it. I mean, it was a beautiful conversation. Um He talked about becoming a secondary school teacher and why he became a teacher. Um And it wasn't, I don't want people to get the idea that it was this kind of like God came down and was like, yes, you know, this is the man you're, <laughs> this is your soulmate, you know, it didn't feel like, you know, like the stars were all like lighting or anything. It really was I had at that point been on 137 other dates and I looked across from him and I thought, this is a really good person. And he was smiling and I was like, I can make this work. And then just I just decided. There was, it was a decision made by me. And I think that is the important thing. It was like, I think that relationships are this idea of powerful choices, where you know, I was like, I'm gonna choose you and I'm gonna make it work no matter what. And that we chose each other. We we like the coming together of our relationship and the kind of the early stage of the kind of foundations of it are in the book, but it was around very early on, we decided that we were forever and we weren't going to put any energy into what, thinking about whether or not we were in the right relationship or not. So we do argue, there's lots of, there's, there's often tensions, there's, there's every relationship, there's no relationship that is perfect. But when we do have these you know arguments or he annoys me for some reason, I never think, oh, maybe there's someone else out there. You know, I just this, you can't do that. You've got to go, okay, this is the guy that I have chosen. He's not necessarily my one soulmate because I don't believe in that, but I have chosen this person as, as forever, and we're gonna put all of our energy into making it work. And I think that's kind of a and he's the same for me. So yeah, we, we kind of prioritize each other's happiness and, and when we have, yeah, when we do have disagreements. It always comes back to, okay, how are we going to work this out? As opposed to. Yeah.
0: Obviously. And that's, and that's called real life yeah. rather than, okay, well, it's all going to be 100% positive because it won't, because we're yeah. not even 100% positive within in our own minds. So, yeah. how can our relationships also be 100% positive? Yeah. And so, I think it's, um, yeah, just realistic. And I love what you said about just don't entertain all the other stuff, just actually yeah. give it a chance for a start. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah.
1: I think in the, an earlier question you asked about what holds people back in their relationships, finding a relationship. I mean, I think there's that fear of rejection, but I think it's also like expectations that aren't realistic. You aren't going to find the perfect person. And I mean, I can tell you I've been on 138 dates. Now, there is a kind of market reality that you get when you feel that many dates and you're like, okay, so when you find a good one, like this is a good person, you know. Maybe he's not got every single criteria that you think is important, but actually the important ones are, you know, having good values and being able to have a good conversation and being able to kind of commit to that something and being reliable. Those things are the things that are important.
0: I know because when I work with um, some of my clients with relationships and and I get them to list everything that they could possibly want, but then we sort it into what's non-negotiable. Because that's not that's the no go, and it just helps make decisions as you go further forward. Because there'll be either five or six that are just non-negotiables, like you said about the values, about being relatable, about all of these things. And so it's actually um, it's kind of it, it's good to have a bit of a selection process because you've got to filter things through because as I'm about to find out through the rest of your book, I'm sure <laughs> there's a few wild cards in there. that, um, yes. that have. <laughs> so what's just going back to business, even though everything actually, as you, as you're talking, I'm relating it from business to relationships, because mm. I think there's a, there's a real segue there, but what's one thing that you wish you had known when you first began in business in particular or relationships, however you want to answer that.
1: Um, there's so many things, I know you can have more than one. <laughs> I'll just think of a few. I mean, in, in business, I remember there was a big point when I turned 40, like relatively recently, a few years ago, um, where I was, I've always worked with a coach on, um, organizational skills. I was like, I'm not the best project manager in the world in terms of like my admin skills are terrible, and um, when I mean, I'm like my brain kind of works. I'm always trying to take in new things and <clears throat> sorry, find patterns and things. But like setting a project, I can plan the project, but then running it day to day, I'm just not good at that. And I've always have been working with co- I've been working with coaches, and we're like, okay, hey, what are the new, you know frameworks that we're going to bring in that I can learn, that I can try and apply. And I think when I turned 40 and I had a meeting with my coach, I was like, wow, I have been working with coaches on this now, running businesses for almost 20 years. Like <laughs> Maybe I'm just not cut out to run projects like this. Maybe I'm not. That's just, I'm not good at, I mean, I'm good at burning a building a budget, but running finance, I'm not good at that. Maybe I should, instead of trying to get better at things that I'm not good at, maybe I should try and remove the things that I'm not good at from my plate and just focus on the things that I am good at. So I think that, um, you know, that was a big realization was like, I am just never, I'm not great at managing lots of people. And so I'm just not ever going to put myself in the position again where I'm managing lots of people. I don't have to get better at managing lots of people. You know, I can be an individual contributor and I can probably do really well just focusing on what I am good at. And I think, um, you know, I guess I'd wish I'd learned that and again I think go back to something I mentioned before about looking I looked way too much at role models early in my career you know like Richard Branson or is a woman in Sydney called Mia Friedman I thought I should be like that you know more like and and yeah I felt bad at myself when I wasn't when I wasn't those things it's just working out okay these are my strengths Sometimes I wish I had other strengths, but I don't. And so I'm going to accept that these are my strengths and I'm just going to be grateful for them and really use them to the absolute kind of, you know, best that I possibly can do the best with them that I can. So like writing, for example, has always been a strength of mine. And so speaking, so those things are the kind of things that I should be doing.
0: And now they're all coming back to you too now that you're going to start to sort of be able to to build on that. But those are yeah. really two great things to look back on. And I'm much yeah. happier as well.
1: I'm way happier doing things that I'm good at and that I enjoy doing,
0: yeah. I think that's a lesson for all of us to learn you know, because um, I'm not a great admin person. I'm great with ideas, but it's actually, you know, just to actually focus me because I'm very, I was wanting to put my hand up as <laughs> as you were talking. because mm. I thought, yep, that's me. That's totally me as well. But so, um, so do you have a guiding principle or theme for your life now? And is it any different from before? Or do you think we've
1: already kind of gone through that with the accelerator integrity thing yeah i think the accelerator integrity thing is my guide for life i mean i'm always evolving that i think so i think yeah just um uh yeah i think that i mean some things i'm still learning uh focus is a big one for me that i'm constantly working on is i have been someone who has said yes to too many things Um, I've seen opportunity gone. I'm I'm pathologically optimistic, so I think I can do too many things, and so I'm trying now to really focus on what is the things that bring me the most joy, that I feel like yeah. And I think yeah, I don't know. As you get into your early forties, as well as I, to get the sense, I feel so much happier and like I'm on the right path in my life. But I do also have the sense of running out of time. Of so I'm like you know I really want to look back on my like time on earth and feel like I really made a contribution. So like, what is that? That's going to be that contribution. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just, a, I guess a we're never question. done. I'm no. still, I don't have a nicely tied up in a bow answer to your question other than I'm still working on it. And I think that I probably always will be still working on it. I think that's a healthy thing. I think it's a really
0: healthy thing and I think it's a great answer. So, um cause it's very smart. Cause not all, we're, we're never done. As you say, we're, we're, we're a work in progress and we will be till, till you know, our last breath. Um, so you were talking about coaches and things like that before and obviously having written now your own book and, and you've read, um, written your blogs and and things like that. What have you found have been the most influential people in your life? Not that made you compare yourself, mm. but have really influenced.
1: Um, I mean... Like definitely getting therapy was a huge thing for me. I had lots of blockers and there's some key friends that you won't have come across yet in the book. There's a woman called Madeline who um, just gave me some great advice. She's just an extraordinarily wise person. I mean, Melanie Perkins is also a big character in the book, who's the founder CEO of Canva. So she's one of my closest friends and and, and, um, we raised money at the same time Although her business has done much better than my business (laughs) doing Um, very well. (laughs) But she is an incredible um, person. I feel like um yeah, watching her has helped me refine what I am good at because I do watch her with complete awe. And she's the person I mentioned before when I was she's been on a singular mission her entire life um, with wanting to have like the impact that she's having in terms of not-for-profits and like poverty but also the impact that the product has. That's the vision she's had since since she was very young and she's just followed that one thing. So she's just the example of someone who I say is, you know, she's like the person who found her path and who um, has also worked incredibly hard. So I think that's a great example of what you can do. So for me, it's, It's, it's like, I can't be like her because I can see that no matter how hard I work, I'm never going to be as good as her at some particular things. But there's also particular things that I can see that I'm potentially better at that are my strengths. So, um, I mean that watching her has helped me refine myself, I think. I think that's, that's brilliant.
0: Okay. Thank you. And, um, and I think also just to go even stay on the question, what are my strengths? How far can I take them? What, you know, what will they look like? Um, What do you reckon failure has taught you?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, what has failure taught me? I think when I have failed, Generally, I haven't been on the right. I mean, I think I've. Um, <laughs> this is a difficult, difficult one. I mean, there's, there's so many little lessons that you can take out of failure. Of maybe if I tweaked something, did something a bit differently next time, or maybe if I, um, you know, actually really, I mean, example is really tried to sell my product to real customers, and before <laughs> I spent. You know, $500,000 building an engineering, like a platform. There's lots of things like that. Um, maybe I should, you know, like there's lots of those kind of failures. I mean, the big lessons I think is, yeah, just was I, yeah, why was I doing that particular thing? Um, yeah. I think some of the things that we talked about before about just being really on the right track, because I have seen, has oh, here's one. I mean, I've seen opportunities to start businesses and sometimes I've gone, well, that's a really good opportunity. I should start that. And I've started it. And then I've gone, oh, I, I don't feel like this is the one thing that I should be doing. Because starting a business, it's not just solving a problem and then, you know, you've got a business and... Because then you've got to run this business for a decade or more. And I think that that is probably something that... You know, I wouldn't say that might Cafe payments business is a failure because it's not because it's technically a successful profitable business, but I feel personally like it was a failure in some ways because I wonder what else I could have done with that time. So I think that that I really reflected on. I remember it was one day in particular where I sold, was selling the product to a major pub chain in Australia, and I went home and I thought I was in Melbourne for the day and I and I'd been away from the my little baby. And I remember thinking, was that the very best use of like 16th of November, 2017? I was like, I'm never going to get that day on the planet again. Did I actually use my talents and, you know, to the, to the something, to the very best that I possibly could have. Um, And then my answer was no. And that was when I realized that I needed to do something else um, as much as I was proud of it. So I think that, yeah, I wanted to really at the end of every day, be able to go home and give a kind of affirmative yes to that question. And definitely when I was writing my book, I felt like that every day. I felt like, yeah, this is the best contribution I can make. And I really enjoyed it. And I'm home to hang out with my beautiful young children. So um I think the win-win. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. like a good lesson is thinking about each day. That is a really cool thing. Piece of advice someone gave me to share Um, And that is like, when you're thinking about what you want to do, don't just do a list of pros and cons of, you know, different directions. Think about a day, like one day. And what would you be doing? You know, getting up in the morning, what time would you be getting up? Who would you see? Would you be talking to your family in the morning? Would you be rushing out the door? Where would you be going to? Who would you be meeting with when you got to the office? Or would you be working from home? What kind of clothes would you be wearing? Like break it down. And what does your perfect day look like? And then that's a really, I found a really good way to make decisions about what you want to do. That was a piece of advice someone gave me when I was thinking about what to do next.
0: It's a great piece of advice, actually. And we, you know, we can, um, there's that ideal day exercise and everyone can be a little bit glib about it. But actually, it's actually a really important thing. And just listening to everything that you've been saying, um, you actually ask yourself some really valuable questions because you're inquiring as to how, what your actions are doing in the day. Cause a lot of people just go through the day and they're not really thinking too hard about it. It's just what they do. And then they kind of do it again the next day. So just that inquiring mind that you have is, is very refreshing. <laughs> it
1: also drives you crazy. Sometimes, sometimes <laughs> yeah. I think, oh, couldn't I just be normal and have like a normal mind that just, you just do things and not think about them too much. But um, so yeah. It's no, funny
0: cuz I, I I went to see a psychic woman one time and she said, "Oh my goodness, you have so many ideas." And I went, "Oh, yes, you know." And she said, "My dear," she said, "you'd be surprised about how many people who don't have many ideas." And I went, "Really?" I couldn't imagine that, you know. So it's <laughs> just <laughs> okay, cool. And so We, If you could have dinner with three people, alive or dead, and I love asking my guests this because the answers are so varied, so it's very cool. But if you could go have dinner with three people, alive or dead, who would it be and why?
1: Um, Okay. Well, I'll start with the dead ones. There's only one (laughs) dead one. There's only one dead person I'd really love to meet, and that's that's, uh, Robert Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy. I've just always been an incredible fan of... um, of his, I mean, if you read back, look, I've read extensively about the kind of 1960s. Um, one says he's an example of someone who grew, so he wasn't always the kind of uh, incredible like values-driven um, person that he was when he when he ran for president in 1968. But the way that he presented himself on that campaign is he had these um, rock-solid values and a vision for what he wanted to achieve. And he could walk into any audience and convince people and not bend a tiny bit. Um, And I just find that super inspiring because I think today there's way too much bending of ideals and values. And I think that the people who I really admire are people that have rock solid values and do not bend them and are able to walk into a room and and you know take on a, an audience that is likely to be very close to them and to and to win them over so that's why i love him um alive would be barack obama just because he's such a cool guy um and yeah i've read a lot of about about him as well and you know followed what he tried to do and he was not the perfect i mean again bobby kennedy never got to become president so we never got to see what he actually would have done but um and whether he would have had to kind of bend like a little bit like Obama did when he was in, but I still think what an incredible person. Um, and, and the other person would be Madonna. Cause I've always been a massive Madonna fan. And I just think that um, I would just love to meet her. I mean, I, I, I scared that it would be slightly disappointing, um, but I just think she's amazing. And I've loved her since I was about 13 years old. That would be an incredible dinner. And you could probably bring yes.
0: Michelle along as well to come along with Barrick as well. So oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's so cool. Um No, I, I just love asking that question because everyone's answers are really are really detailed um, and they're really well thought out Because and they're different. It's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so is there one... I know you've got lots of advice for people, just to sort of circle back to your book one hundred and thirty eight dates. So if, what's one bit of advice that really stands out from the book that you would love people to know?
1: Oh, something
0: that we I know, just about. one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um,
1: or two. <laughs> let me think. I think. I mean, there's so many, I mean, I'd, I'd recap on a couple of them. I think like remaining optimistic and that following, following through, I think that relationships are like, I mean, if, if if the person is listening and they're looking, they're thinking they might want to look for a relationship. Um, I think that, you know, the value that you get in finding a, a relationship and making it work is just so huge in your overall experience of life that, you know, when you look back on your life, that'll be what you go. Okay. That was really valuable, much, probably more valuable than anything you do in your, in your career. So I think that, um, for me anyway, but you, you may find that as well, but, um, but, um, I think like, you've got to invest the time. You don't, just don't give up on it. Don't go, Oh, I'm too busy, you know, or this difference loses out there. um, it can be done if you stick at it. I think that goes for everything. Um, So so many other things. That's a good one, though. And
0: I think um, also (laughs) just in the process of being open to learning about yourself maybe as well as you go through that, because I imagine you would have learned a huge amount about yourself
1: going through this process. Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, around... I mean, for me, it was a process of becoming myself, which sounds simple, but it's not. It's not like you can just get a few insights and then become yourself. It was really, it took all of those dates to get me to a point where I could be really happy inside myself and yeah, you know, really content with who I was and able to be completely authentic meeting somebody, you know, and then there was a lot of things about skills of how to form a relationship as well, but that process of yeah, turning off all. I had so many um, unhelpful stories that I had about myself that were kind of running through my head the whole time that I was trying to defend against. And yeah, it's not it's not one or two things that that kind of unravelled those stories. It was a whole process. So I think, yeah, I guess the other piece of advice would be, no, read the book <laughs> and um, you'll see my process. And I'm sure, you know, it won't be the same as your process, but hopefully it gives you some insight into, I think, how you can become like s- stop all those, those unhelpful narratives that could be telling you that you're not enough or um, that you've got to be perfect. There was lots of, I had a lot of stuff that held me back even though i couldn't see it at the beginning it became clearer and clearer as it dissolved it became more obvious funnily enough um until one final point which i won't kind of give away what happened but where i was able to go you know it was a kind of transformative insight i was able to just let go and and then i met rod two weeks after that
0: isn't that interesting? Just the yeah. timing of it when you can actually really own who you are—that's amazing. Yeah. So that segues nicely into my question, which a lot of my guests kind of are not. They all kind of um and ha when <laughs> I ask it. But as women who own who they are, um, what's most remarkable about what about you and what you do?
1: I think the things that are annoying are the things that are the other remarkable things. I think for me, it's what we're talking about in terms of being a thinker. I think I think through everything that, you know, I will, everything that happens in my day, I will, like, I'll give you an example. I went on my my, my five-year-old school trip on Friday and I noticed a whole lot of different behaviors in the class. Um, we went to this kind of, it was the Bush program. And, and I noticed how my daughter interacted. And I thought, I was went home and I was like, gosh, those teachers are amazing how they handle all those different personalities and there's some kind of behavioral issues and stuff. And I was thinking, like, how could we solve that? How could we, and you're never going to solve all of them, but how could we make, you know, better for, like, what could be contributing to some of those behaviors? How could the school be better set up to support parents to, you know, <laughs> have their kids turn up in the classroom. So then I like went away and kind of actually spent like a whole day, or well, not a day yesterday. I spent all afternoon yesterday writing up this kind of idea of what we could, you know, what I can bring to the school principal as a suggestion. So I think like just being that kind of person is I'm always thinking, and um I guess you'll see in the book because like lots of insights as I go on a date or kind of oh you know, this is what I did, this is what went wrong you know, I'm, how am I feeling right now? I'm feeling really hurt, And then I'll go and unpick it either with a friend or I'll try and unpick it in my own head. And I'm constantly, yeah. Philosophizing about it and, and trying to, work out things. <laughs> but that's what makes me remarkable. I think that's my strength as well as what drives me and my poor husband crazy. <laughs>
0: Beautiful answer. Thank you so much. Now, how how do people get hold of you, Rebecca? Um, do you want to let us know um, a little bit about the book details um, and how they can find out
1: more about you? Oh, Sure. So the book is 138 dates. It should be in all bookstores. Um, and also it's on Audible and all the online bookshops as well. Um, and my website is rebeccacampbell.com and that's R-E-B-E-K-A-H campbell.com. And there's lots of my articles on there, as well as lots of kind of webinars that I've created, um, that you might want to check out as well. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rebecca. I really appreciate your time. It's been
0: wonderful to have you on here.
1: Thank you so much. That was a really lovely conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to Remarkable Woman Radio. For more episodes and more details of today's show, please go to remarkablemindset.com. Let me ask you, what makes you remarkable?